Uh, good morning, friends. Thank you for being here this morning. My name is Thomas. I'm the lead pastor here at West Bowles Church. If it's your first time here, uh, we are so grateful that you're with us. Hope you had a good week this past week, albeit a very cold week, especially for wimps like me from SoCal. I was freezing. I wore three or four layers uh, nonstop this whole week, but hopefully, hopefully the weather will change a little bit. We'll get a little warmer. Uh, we're in a sermon series right now that the bumper kind of introduced to you there called Remarkable. In this series, we are walking through the book of Mark together. The book of Mark is one of four books in the Bible that describes for us the life and times of Jesus in great detail. And our hope is that through this series and this study, you will be amazed, maybe for the first time or the first time in a very long time, at how remarkable Jesus truly is. And how the amazing things he did back then actually still have the power to change lives even now. So let me pray for us and we'll dive into Mark chapter 5. God, would you speak to us now? We believe that your word is alive and active and that it can help us and heal us and give us hope right now in this moment. And each of us comes here, God, needing to hear something. And I'm not going to be able to say it all, so would you say it instead? Would you speak to each person here in their own language and in a way that will really, really resonate with their heart and their mind and their spirit? Bless us now. Join us now. Speak to us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want you to think of a time when you were way out of your comfort zone. A time when you were thrust into a particular setting or agreed to do something that you never thought you would do and you were so uncomfortable and out of place it just felt, it felt awkward. Can you think of a time like that in your own life? Uh, let me share with you a few of my favorite personal examples. Uh, this is going to come as a complete shock to you based on my physique, uh, but I'm not much of a fighter. In fact, I've only thrown five punches in my entire life, and all five of them have been into the couch when my perfect Madden season came to an end. Uh, and all the video gamers said, amen, right? We, we know that feeling. So you can imagine uh, what, what happened one day when I was in sixth grade and a rumor started. Rumor started that I'd kissed a girl. I wasn't mad about the rumor. It wasn't a problem. What was a problem is that this girl was dating a very large Hispanic eighth grader. And turns out this girl also had 27 large Hispanic 8th grade cousins who all attended the same school. Imagine that. So one day at lunch, five of them, the biggest I'm sure, started pushing me around and circling around me. And I was scared to death. I was totally out of my comfort zone, to say the least. And I'm still not exactly sure what happened next. Either I got knocked out cold or I turned into a ninja and I knocked all of them out. It's still a blur, so I'm going to go with the latter option. That was one uncomfortable moment. One moment when I was way out of my comfort zone. Another happened when uh, I took Becca to a Victory Outreach Church service. If you know anything about Victory Outreach Churches, you know exactly where this story is going. Uh, I was in an urban ministry class at the time, and I got to shadow a few pastors who were doing work in the inner city. And I loved their hearts. I loved their passion. I loved what they were, were doing. These guys were hardcore. They moved their families to the middle of the ghetto. They put up with being threatened and harassed. They witnessed to drug lords. They invited prostitutes into their home. But not like that. It was, it was incredible. I just loved what they were doing. So I asked Becca, my wife, to join me in one of their Sunday morning church services. I wanted to see what they were doing on the weekend. Well, you haven't experienced a charismatic church setting until you've been to a Victory Outreach Church. And you haven't hugged enough uh, tattooed former gangbangers until you've gone to a Victory Outreach Church. 
and you haven't seen two white, middle-class, suburban 20-something so out of their element until you see them at a victory outreach church setting. It was so odd, so awkward. We probably looked like fools in this moment. And after service was over, we get back into the car, and I remember uh, Becca turning to me and saying, well, that was nice. (laughs) I had a shell-shocked look on my face like, "Mm mm-hmm, yeah. The particulars might be different for you, but most of us can relate to the feeling, can we not? The feeling of being in a situation that's uncomfortable, that's way out of our normal, that pushes us almost to the breaking point. And I can't help but think that Jesus takes great delight every time that happens. Because as we started to see last week, and as we're going to continue to see this week, Jesus loves pushing his followers out of their comfort zone, way out of their comfort zone. Let me show you what I mean. Mark chapter 5, if you have a Bible there, we're continuing in the series. If not, it'll be on the screen for you. Mark 5, 1. So they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes. This story, this text starts off by telling us that the disciples arrived at the other side of the lake. This is actually going to be the other side of the stormy sea that Jesus just rebuked and just calmed in the last chapter that we talked about last week. This chapter, chapter 5, is a literal continuation of what just happened at the end of chapter 4. So the disciples are still wringing out their clothes. They're still confused as to what just happened back there on the stormy sea when suddenly the boat hits the beach. It happened in rapid succession. This is not several days later. This is not later in the storyline. This is that night. After the stormy sea, the boat hits the beach, and here they are. And if the disciples felt a bit out of their comfort zone out on the sea, well, they ain't seen nothing yet. It's about to get really crazy now that they're on dry land. Now, in crossing over to the other side of the sea, the region known uh, as the area of the Gerasenes, it's it's as if Jesus is taking the disciples to the other side of town or across the tracks or even across the border for that matter. The region of the Gerasenes is an extremely pagan and hostile place. It's actually a combination of 10 cities, 10 cities filled with misfits that didn't fit anywhere else, those who didn't believe in the Lord. And so Jews didn't go across the sea very often. At least they didn't go there on purpose. So going across the sea right off the bat in this story, it's incredibly significant for so many reasons. Jesus is pushing his disciples out of their comfort zone. He's pushing them to reach out to those who weren't like them and those who actually don't like them and vice versa. In this moment, he's, he's pushing them and forcing them to go to a place that's unfamiliar, that's unusual, that's going to make them uncomfortable. I love what author Jillian Michaels once said, hey, you need to get comfortable being uncomfortable. That's exactly what Jesus is teaching his disciples in this moment. He's crashing their comfort zone, And he's not apologizing for doing it. And guess what? He still doesn't apologize for doing it. His heart hasn't changed. And he still wants us to follow him across the sea. He still wants us to go to these people groups that we typically despise or disregard. And so the first question for you this morning is who typically falls into that category for you? This is a picture literally of the Sea of Galilee. Who lives over there on the other side of the sea that you could care less about? Who lives over there that you're glad they're way over there? Is it the LGBT community? Is that who it is for you? Is it the Muslim community? 
Is it a higher socioeconomic class? Is it a lower socioeconomic class? Is it the immigrant community? Is it the old? Is it the young? Who's over there? Who's over there? And why don't you ever go to them? Because Jesus says, you got to get out of your comfort zone. It's time to go across the sea. You see, chances are whoever it is for you that lives in that place, that's exactly where God wants you to go. That's exactly who God wants you to minister to. Christ, he's just not into comfort zones. Watch and see. The story continues. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the burial caves, could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrists and he smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. I want you to think back to the last time uh, someone or something really startled you. Maybe it was after you turned a corner, you were on your phone, you weren't paying attention, someone just suddenly was right there in front of you. Maybe you were eating dinner or whatever and, and somebody dropped something behind you, broke a dish and it just kind of startled you. Or maybe, maybe it was just when your toddler stood by the side of your bed and stared at you while you were sleeping. Has anybody else ever woken up in that condition? Is that not the creepiest thing in the world? <laughs> Daddy. Like, ah. Well, that's how I picture what happens next in the story. Jesus gets out of the boat and he's startled. Boom. There's a demon-possessed man that rushes into him and rushes to meet him right off the bat. And this guy's condition, man, it seems worse than all the other demon-possessed people we've already encountered throughout the book of Mark. This guy is tormented to the point where he is acting like a wild animal. The text says he is so demented, the only way he is able to communicate is by howling. I've had people yell at me and scream at me, even bark at me before. Never had anybody howl at me. And this internal affliction, it manifests itself in even uglier ways than just the howls. Because in addition to howling, the man also hurts himself. It says he cuts himself. Those of us who have ever struggled with cutting or self-harm, we know this feeling. We can relate to this man in this moment. In those moments, you are willing to do anything to distract yourself from the internal pain. Or you're trying to communicate to somebody just how much pain is inside of you. So he's cutting himself and he's howling. This man is in a really sad state of affairs, to say the least. But do you know what the saddest part of the story is? At least in my opinion, it's how this particular community treated this particular man. Their solution to his problem and his predicament is to bind him and banish him. The community, apparently, uh, they beat, they dehumanized, they ostracized, and they chained up anybody who had complicated personal problems or extreme mental disabilities. Or if you were battling a demon of any kind, we just chain you up and we throw you out. The man was forced to live in a cemetery all by himself in these caves and tombs. He's forced to deal with his demons all by himself. They bind him. They banish him. The community is so uncomfortable by who this guy is and what he's struggling with that they just try to stuff him over in the corner. They try to dismiss him. They try to discard him. In church this past week, I've been so burdened because I wish I could tell you that things have changed for the better in our society, but, but I'm just not sure they have. Are not those with developmental disabilities here in our own city more or less banished 
to certain streets or certain shelters downtown. Places that, if we're honest, feel a lot like a cemetery. Do we not ostracize those with physical and mental problems to places like mental wards or psych units or senior care centers? And do we not literally bind and chain up those who are wrestling with evil in places like prisons or detention centers? Not much has changed in our world. We worship comfort so much that when anybody comes in who makes us uncomfortable, we just don't know what to do with them. So we bind them and we banish them. It's a crazy world we live in. But Jesus challenges us. And Jesus shows us. And Jesus invites us to do so much more than that. You see, my friends, it's, it's going to be a Christian empowered by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus himself, that initiates change in how we handle the mental illness crisis in this country. It'll be a Spirit-empowered believer who truly makes a change in that world. It'll most likely be a Christian, in my opinion, empowered by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus himself, that rethinks and redeems our entire prison system, one where men and women are actually changed and restored as a result of their time behind bars. It's most likely going to be a Christian, at least in my opinion, who's empowered by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, who brings hope and healing to so many senior adult centers, places where families are just dropping their, 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 their grandparents off and walking away for good. Who's going to change that world? Who's going to change that system? You are. A Spirit-empowered believer is going to change those systems. Why can I say that with such authority or, or such belief? Because that's exactly what Jesus did in this story. Watch. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed low before him. With a shriek, he screamed, Why? Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In the name of God, I beg you, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, Come out of the man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus demanded, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion. There are so many of us inside this man. And the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. So upon seeing Jesus, the man runs up and starts screaming. And he, and he starts screeching, don't hurt me, don't torture me. Ah! Jesus seems a little perturbed by this whole thing. He's, he's perturbed by the man's antics and what he's doing and the scene that he's causing. And so he tries to shut him up. And a way to do that was to ask the question that he asked. What is your name? This is a power play that Jesus is, is, is utilizing here and using. To know someone's name was to have like authority over them. I was just thinking when Steve stands on this little thing here and he goes like this, ba-boom, right? And everybody on the, like, boom. Right? Let's get the choir's like, yes, sir. That's authority. What is your name? Hmm. Okay, stupid. I thought it worked. It didn't. That's what Jesus is trying to do here, right? And the evil spirit tells him in response to that, my name is Legion. Legion is a, is a term uh, describing a, a Roman army, a group of 6,000 Roman souls. That's, that's what Legion was. And so in other words, this is what the man is saying. The evil spirit, in saying that his name is Legion, is saying this, my dilemma, my demon is this. I feel like there are 6,000 enemy soldiers inside of me. Sometimes they all march left. Sometimes they all march right. Sometimes they go in different directions. And I'm forced to go wherever they go. I am pulled inside of me by 6,000 evil forces, and I can't stop it. I don't know what to do about it. 
I'm losing this battle against this army that is deep inside of me. And maybe you can relate to that. Maybe, maybe you can't. And the evil spirit asks Jesus to not destroy him. The text tells us he begs again and again and again to not be sent too far away. Those two requests are pretty interesting. Let me tell you why. First of all, this man shows us that sometimes those who are most in need of deliverance are the ones who fight it the most. Sometimes those who are most in need of deliverance are those who fight it the most. Those who need to be liberated by the truth are often those who refuse to listen to the truth. Have you experienced that in your own life? Sure, this man is making a scene and and he's fighting against Jesus' presence and his power, but Jesus knew, somehow Jesus knew, this guy is so close to a breakthrough. He's so close to, to moving past this problem. He's just a few steps away. And so Jesus doesn't give up. He keeps pressing in. Even though the guy is kicking and screaming against it, he just keeps pressing in. And I want you to do the exact same thing. I don't want you to give up either. Because chances are there's someone in your life who's just like this guy. Someone who kicks and screams and argues against your faith and your beliefs. This person argues against giving their life to Christ or ever joining you at church. They just, they're making a scene. But maybe, maybe, just like this man in the story, maybe the person in your life is so close to deliverance. You just got to keep pressing through. Maybe that person is just a few steps away to experiencing a breakthrough in their life. So do not give up. Don't let their shrieks and their screams and their howls push you away. They need you more now than ever. Keep pressing in. Another crazy thing about the story is that the demon begs, it says again and again and again, to not be sent too far away. That sounds a bit odd, but isn't that just like us? Even though we want to be free from our sin, We don't want our sin to be too far away from us. We like for it to be close. It's as if, like this man, we find security in our demons, in our sins, in our problems. And we don't even know what life is like without this problem, without this drama, without this destructive pattern. And so we ask Jesus, help us, Jesus, get out of it. But would you keep that thing so close that I could still just touch it on occasion? Would you keep my sin and my problem just so close to me that I still can just reach out and see it and say hi to it and throw a little wink at it? This man is showing us what our battle is, each and every one of our battles, close enough to still mess with. The story continues. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding in the hillside nearby. Send us into the pigs, the spirits begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission Evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. So apparently demons need a willing or at least an unsuspecting host. They cannot just float in the sky or be destroyed. And so Jesus is going to remove them from the man, but they have to go somewhere else. And so Jesus actually grants their request in the story, and he sends them to a random group of pigs, uh, a herd of pigs standing by. Jesus says, okay, that's a good idea. I'll throw you into the pigs. Well, the demons end up terrorizing the pigs in the same way they terrorize the man. They cause the pigs to go crazy and hurt themselves so much so that they literally, this is the cliff. They think it happened. They literally run off the cliff down the side and jump into the sea. So they terrorize and hurt the pigs just like they did the man because that's all they ever want to do. Now, I know what you're thinking because if you're, if you're like me, you're thinking the same thing. This is just weird, Like, of all the stories in Mark, why did you choose this one? 
But before you get too upset with me, I just have to ask you this. How many seasons of Stranger Things or Walking Dead have you binge watched? Yeah, you tell me this is strange. I know what you watch. This ain't that strange. There's a lot we can learn. Let's keep going. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there, fully clothed, perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what had happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs. And the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. As you can imagine, people run off to, to talk about what just happened. This doesn't happen every day in the land of the Gerasenes. So they run off and they tell everybody, and they tell the owners of the pigs, you got to come see, something, something has happened. And as they all come running onto the scene, onto the cliffside, they notice two things. The text tells us the first thing they notice is the demon-possessed man. He's not crazy anymore. He's sitting there, fully clothed, perfectly sane. He's like the most confident person in that entire moment. He's the healthiest person on that entire hillside. I love that. The man they feared so much, the man they tried to avoid at all costs, the man they chained up and banished, the man that made them so uncomfortable, he is fully alive because of Jesus. What they were powerless to do, what they were unwilling to do, what they were scared to do, Jesus did. And it says that scared them. Well, it should have. But the townspeople also notice something else. It says they, they notice, oh wait, all the pigs are gone. So they notice that the demon-possessed man is totally healthy and he's, he's in his right mind. But they also notice all the pigs are gone. Worse than that, all the pigs are dead. And do you know which of the two things they cared about more? The pigs. Not the man. The pigs. How do I know? Because of what they say. The crowd began pleading with Jesus to leave them alone. Is that not one of the saddest, darkest statements you've ever read in all the Bible? Jesus, back off. Leave me alone. This particular community asks Jesus, the miracle man that just stilled the storm. The man that just delivered another from demon possession. They ask this one to leave them alone. Get out of town because we prefer pigs to fully alive people. One would have thought the townspeople would have been so excited to have Jesus with them on the other side of the sea. This guy, he came to us. Maybe he'll do even greater things than heal this one man. We've got so many problems in our 10 cities. Jesus, please come in, come in. You have full reign in this place. But the opposite was true. They say, would you get out of here? Would you just leave us alone? Why? It's all about their comfort zone. Christ made them uncomfortable. This new healed man made them uncomfortable, and they were unwilling to step out of that comfort zone. You see, helping a person, it costs. It comes at a cost. Helping other people costs you something, and it costs this city their pigs. And that cost well, it was too high for them. But let me bring this home a little bit, because I don't think that pigs is really resonating with us. Let me, let me break it down. What if someone came to you and said this? I can give you a world that will be better for the masses, better for your extended family, your neighbors, the people across town, but it will mean that your comfort 
will, at least for a period of time, be disturbed and upset. And you will have to make sacrifices and you will have to live with less. What if someone came to you and said, that is true, that is a promise, I can make this happen. I can make the world better for others, but it might not be as good for you. What would you say? Chances are I'd be like, you know what, I'm good. We're fine with the way things are. Let's just keep it as is and I'll pray for the masses. Is that how you would respond? Most of us love the idea of serving the special needs community until they start taking up so much space that we don't have room for our Bible studies anymore, our our church gatherings. Most of us say we should do whatever it takes to reach the lost until we start making changes to the church service and your favorite songs aren't being sung anymore. Most of us think it's a great idea to help those in need until the pastor asks you to open up your basement because there's a displaced family that just moved into town. You see how that works? I'm not not saying this because I'm mad, church. I'm just saying this. This is so convicting to me this week. We say, yes, we want to help people, but not at the cost of the pigs. See, we got some pigs here that are pretty important to us, and I'm not sure I want those things to die. And Jesus is like, are you, are you serious right now? I can help some people out in this world, and you only care about the pigs? You care about the pigs. Like, I love me a bacon cheeseburger too, bruh. But don't care about the pigs. It's about the people. And so when Jesus says, you got to give up your pigs for other people, We're like, no, that's too uncomfortable. That's too far out of our comfort zone. And so we do what this town did, and we ask Jesus to leave. Would you just leave us alone? But that shouldn't be, guys. We are followers of the one who gave up heaven for the slums of this earth. We are followers of the one who gave up the joy of God's presence for the agony of the cross. We are followers of the one who gave up so much. He said, there is nothing I won't sacrifice for you. And shouldn't that be our same mentality to the hurting world around us? Nothing I won't sacrifice for you. All right, let me end the the story by pointing out one final thing to you. The story ends this way. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who'd been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Don't you love that? At first he's begging for him to not hurt him. And And he's begging and he's screeching and all these things. And now he's like, please just take me with you. Mark is using this language to show us a major transformation has happened But Jesus says, no, go home, man. Go home to your family. Tell them everything the Lord has done for you, how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the 10 towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. I don't want you to miss this. Jesus says yes on multiple occasions in this story. He says yes to the demon's request to be placed into the pigs. He says yes to the townspeople request for Jesus to leave town. But he says no to this one man's request. And Mark is trying to point something out to us here. Jesus agreed to everything in this story except this one thing. And that's because Jesus didn't simply want this man to love him, serve him, or know about him. Jesus wants and expects this man to tell others about him. Jesus saves us my friends, not for our own sakes, but for the sakes of every single person we will ever run into in the future. Are you tracking that? You with me there? Jesus doesn't just save us for our own sake. He saves us for the sake of every single person we will ever encounter in the future. For the sake of our families, our friends, our neighborhoods, our workplaces. A key part of our new life in Christ 
is that we will help bring others to Christ. I want you to say that out loud with me. A key part of our new life in Christ is that we will help bring others to Christ. One more time. A key part of our new life in Christ is that we help bring others to Christ. Until we go to the other side of the sea and reach out to a people group, just go to the other side of the street to start. Until we do that, our faith is incomplete. Jesus is trying to show us here that a mature believer is one who is sharing their faith on a regular basis with as many people as possible. And as I say that, I imagine a lot of you are like, oh no, comfort zone, weep, 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 like I'm about to step out of it. That's okay. I want you to be so excited about this truth, that a key part of your new life in Christ is that you get to share Christ with others. You get to help other people experience and come to know Christ. I want you to love that. I want you to cling to that and say, yes, thank you, God, for that opportunity. I kid you not, the next time Jesus crosses the sea, it's going to happen about three or four more chapters, he goes back to the land of the Gerasenes, and guess what? Instead of one crazy man coming to run to meet him, 4,000 townspeople come running to meet him. And they're not shouting, please leave us alone. They're saying, we're so glad you're here. We heard so much about you, man. Thanks for coming back. From one demon-possessed crazy man to 4,000 converts. Why? What's the change? What happened over in the land of Gerasenes that caused all this? One guy. One guy said, I'm going to tell everybody I know about who Jesus is and what he's done and what he's capable of and how merciful he was to me. One guy. And church, I want to leave you with this. I'm going to ask the band to come up. We'll continue in worship for a few more minutes. There is, there is a guy, there is a girl in your life just like this. I can guarantee there is one person in each of our lives that desperately needs us to break out of our comfort zone so we can get to know them, so we can love them, so we can share the gospel with them. There's this one person, and that one person could very well be the next Billy Graham. They could very well lead thousands and thousands of other people to the Lord. Nathan told me this one time, Pastor Nathan, he said, I mean, we give Billy Graham all the credit, and I love that, but you know who should get a lot of the credit? The person who led Billy to the Lord. And there is that one person in each of our lives, but they're over there on the other side of the sea. You gotta go over there and get them. You gotta go over there and find them. You gotta get out of your comfort zone to share the gospel with them. But when you do, the miraculous is going to happen. We all want the miraculous to happen. And in this church especially, we're praying for it and we're asking God to see more of it. He's saying, go. Go share your faith. <laughs> you want me to do the miraculous right here in your little club meeting? No, go share your faith on the other land, on the other side of the sea. That's where I'm going to do the miraculous. And I want us to be a church that believes in that. So comfort or Christ, what's it going to be? Because the disciples learned that day, you just can't have them both. But I want you to get out of your comfort zone because that's when the miraculous will really happen. To you and through you. Let me pray for us and we'll continue to worship for a few minutes. God, this is a tough story. And it goes far deeper than I'm probably even able to communicate this morning. Lord, it has implications for us as individuals. It has implications for us as a society. You are teaching us so much in the story of this demon-possessed man. Would we not be like the city, though, of the Gerasenes, God? Would we not be like those who bind and, and, and banish those who make us uncomfortable? Instead, we'd be like Jesus. Would we go to them? 
would we purposely reach out to them? Would we love them and help them, God? And would you do the miraculous through us as a result? Lord, all of us have these pigs that mean so much to us, what our comfort represents. Would we, would we be willing to give all of that up so that we could be a part of something so much greater than this stupid little comfort zone that we're sitting in? Please make it so, God. You have such love for those across the sea. And it's up to us to go to them. And when we do, you will move in us and through us in ways we can't even fully fathom. You are a miracle-making God. And you came to us, and now you want us to go to others. Make it so now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.